What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to my BookTube channel. It's been a couple of weeks since TBRCon. Uh, yeah, it, I, I still don't think I've recovered at all. Uh, I'm still freaking worn out, and I, I, I don't know. I, I Reading's been going okay. Listening's been going a little better here recently. Um, I actually had my first DNF of 2021 uh, yesterday, so that was that was interesting. Uh, it feels like it's been a while since I've had one of those. But uh, speaking of TBRCon, uh, we have somebody with us today who was not able to attend. Uh, and I'm sure they were very, very apologetic about that. <laughs> but today I have the amazing Alex White joining me. Alex, how are we doing this evening? Oh, I'm not too bad. How are you, David? <laughs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> You know, I uh, we were talking a little bit off air. We had this, you know, scheduled for a little while, and mm -hmm. uh, of course, you know, we get to the day of, and um, the plans all completely changed today about what we were going to do, and so it pushed my daughter's schedule like an hour <laughs> from right. what it normally is. <laughs> no worries, no worries. That's on my wife. I was like, I've got to talk to my friend Alex. You got to give me time. <laughs> Well, I totally understand. I, you know, I had a had day job stuff get in the way of TBR con. You know how it is. I know. It's so freaking work and kids. Like the only thing just worse to be than single and not having a day job <laughs> is not having a day job, right? Like that's the only right? thing worse. So gosh, it's like it's like man, if only I could just not have to pay for things. <laughs> that's what Star Trek is about. <laughs> I told my wife the other day, I was like, you know, there's got to be a way that we could both quit our jobs, lift off of our savings, somehow have our home paid for, and I could just like read all day. It'd be great. It'd be wonderful. And then, and, and take care of my daughter, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, go for it. I say, if, uh... <laughs> if, if, if there's a possibility of it, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, somebody, I know somebody who's like, yeah, I was thinking of taking like a three month sabbatical and changing jobs and stuff. And I'm just like, Wow, that's that's cool. You can do that. Like that's <laughs> You can do that in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, let's make sure everybody stays fed. Thanks. Oh my gosh, I know. I'm like I'm like looking at my bank account going, can this happen? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'm just glad to be getting paid. <laughs> I know exactly. I'm like, I'm still still getting money in the bank, so we're good. So um, but I wanna I wanna go ahead and start uh, just a little bit about kind of how we met. So I don't know if you you want me to tell a story. Do you want to tell a story? Sure, go ahead. No. Okay. So, gosh, what has it been now? Four, four years? Three years? I mean, uh, which book signing did you come to? Big Ship. Oh, okay, so that would have been 2018. Okay, so well, about three years. Yeah, pretty close to three years. So, uh, I think I started following you on Twitter, and I was like, oh. Orbit's got you know a new release coming out, and yeah. I found out you were living in Huntsville, which is about two hours away from me. So I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna come to your book signing." And you're like, "Why don't you come to dinner too?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, "That's kind of weird." Sure. <laughs> I have a I have a real tendency to do that with people. I, you know, like you come up and talk to me at a con, you, we may go to dinner. It, it's. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like most authors are pretty standoffish and pretty like Aww. introverted. Well, I mean, I I, I am. It's it's funny because I'll pick people and I'll be like, I want to talk to you, uh, you know, but like I don't want to talk to a bunch of people, you know. 
<laughs> so yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, you know, I, I feel like you know, every time I go, yeah, you know, let, let's have a chance to like, can I, can I just do audio? And I go, why? I'm like, I'm like, I'm just sitting in my home office. Like, come on. I was yeah, like, I was like, a few people will see it. It's fine. <laughs> right, right. No, I definitely, I definitely like getting to see people face to face. I mean, for one, it lets you know if your jokes are landing. It's just true. <laughs> I feel like mine never do. I feel like I just laugh. Oh, oh! <laughs> Don't awe me. <laughs> so, so suffice it to say, okay, Al- Alex, and I, Alex, yeah, Alex and I have been friends for a few years now. Yeah, we, we've we've lost touch a little bit here and there, but we 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 came back together for for TBRCon, which they decided not to attend. It's fine. Oh, oh I know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, freaking work. Boss's boss. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so yeah, I attend I attended the uh, the book signing for a big ship at the edge of the universe, which was uh, which was great, and we had dinner. I'm pretty sure we were supposed to have dinner at one place, and then like we waited for like 45 minutes to get seated, and then we went to we were to, like Panera or something. Yeah, we went to like <laughs> some, some BS <laughs> deli. Yeah, McAllister's. <laughs> That's right, McAllister's. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That was, couldn't, that was really couldn't get service at the restaurant, and then later, um, couldn't uh, couldn't get my books. You know, like <laughs> I think we had the books for that one, but I, I had two different bookstores not have book books. For That's right. Yeah, because I, I think because uh, didn't you like call around to see who had copies? Oh so yeah, you I was make like sure. desperately trying to make sure that I could find some copies so that I didn't look like silly because i was about to be embarrassed in front of all my friends because you know you, you get like 30 to 50 of your closest friends and 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 they're all going to show up and there's not any books for sale you know and you're just like <laughs> so okay depressing. well and this is why you work with local independent booksellers right like <laughs> you don't work with big chains that right. you know that have a, a one bookshelf horror section that's just Stephen king that's it <laughs> oh i know I, I had that I had that conversation during TBR. I forgot what panel it was on, but yeah, it, at the last Barnes and Noble I went into, I just walked in. And I was like, oh, I really want to see what they've got on horror, the horror section because I, I, I dabble a little bit and I go over there and it's literally just all Stephen King oh. and like a couple of Joe Hill. <laughs> which, which you have to have must Joe be, Hill, right? Yeah, it must be Stephen King or related to Stephen King. Or or Haggis have his name on you know as a blurb on the front. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know I'm always said the alien doesn't get me into the horror section. Does it get Does it get you? Uh, what What does it get you? In I mean, it's it's, uh, it's sci-fi. Yeah, it's sci-fi. But I'm like, it's horror. Come on. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, do, but do, I guess I guess they have to market it as science fiction because it's space, right? Yeah, there's space. There's aliens. Whatever. <laughs> It is what it does, right? Um, so, okay, to kind of start out with you, uh, I want to know a little bit about you because, I mean, I know we know each other somewhat, but I want to know, you know, about growing up, how you got into writing, uh, and maybe a little bit about your writing process and how it's kind of evolved over the years. Oh, sure. Well, um, growing up, uh, I grew up in pretty small town in Alabama, uh, Athens, which is outside of Huntsville. And... Uh, you know, I got into writing uh, I, same way everybody gets into writing is to impress somebody that I had a crush on. You know, like, 
but no, I really liked it. I like to write poetry a lot. As a kid, I was really into Shel Silverstein, of course, like all the kids. I had all of it memorized, basically. And I was also really into like really bad tie-in novels. Like I, I really loved a whole bunch of the kind of pulpy stuff from way back when. And, and and including things like, as a kid, I remember loving Tech War. Now that I'm an adult, I can't, like, fathom loving Tech War. But, like, you know, uh, you know, Shatner inspired me, I guess. I don't know. But, <laughs> but you know, like, um, yeah. And, and so when I, when I got into high school, I got really into short films, uh, of course, because it was the indie film kind of revolution at the time. And uh, so I started writing screenplays for stuff and trying to become a, a movie person and then found out what movie stuff was like over the course of going to college. And then I was like, I don't actually want to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I like novels because they give me kind of complete creative control. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even when it's funny because people will say things like, oh, you know, the reason why. I would never want to go with a big publisher is because they take away complete creative control from you. And it's like, they don't, I mean, not from me anyway. Uh, I don't know what they do to other people, but uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's great, you know, and, and you, you have an editor, but they're there to empower you. They're there to make your story amazing. And so, yeah, I, I really got into that style of storytelling just because I didn't have to rely on anybody else. I was always m the most committed person to any group project. You know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, and I, so you could find collaborators on films occasionally, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the same. And you can't tell the same scope of story. You know, I can't have, I can't be like, oh yeah, it's me and my friends doing a little independent train chase or something, you know, like. <laughs> It takes months and months and months of planning just to make like five minutes of film. Right. <laughs> Where you can just write it down in the right. matter of a couple of days or weeks. Right, exactly. And so I really got kind of into that art form and I, you know, and I love it. And I really enjoy kind of trying to mess with uh, readers in ways that other media can't, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so whether that's by pulling out, you know, passive voice to enhance dramatic irony or, uh, you know, just kind of throwing people real curveballs or appealing to sense memory. I mean, these are all things that like movies just don't do a great job at, hmm. you know, so. I gotcha. So, so you're, you're, <laughs> you're saying you have complete creative control. You must be the exception because I, I do hear that. That people are like, I don't, I don't get to do it. It's my self-publish. Oh wow. Well, you know, I mean, I don't get to say anything about. Okay, yeah, I, I have no say in who records my audiobooks. I have no say in the cover, really. I mean, like I do, but kind, kind of not. You know, like, you know, if the cover shows up and it's bad, I guarantee you, it's still my cover later. <laughs> they'll be like, "What do you think?" And I'll be like, "I hate it." And they'll be like, "Well, don't you?" Uh, are you sure? <laughs> you know, kind of. Don't don't you want your book published? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's like, okay, I guess we should go for it. You know, yeah. um, but that. So whenever you see an author who has a bad cover, just just pour one out for them, right? Because they didn't pick that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just what they're stuck with. Right. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I, I feel like covers are done very well. There are a few exceptions 
Mm-hmm. And I have seen some recently that I've just kind of gone, ooh, okay. That that's that's the direction they took. Okay. Um, but I mean I, I feel like covers have come a long way. Uh, yeah. I like I like particularly the very designy covers. Um you know that are that are made of, of pretty severe graphical elements though like you know there's something to be said for a good painted cover right mm-hmm. like i you know the the brits don't seem to like them but like i really do uh i've never before this most recent alien book i'd never had a painted cover mm-hmm. you know so i was really excited to get one of those um but yeah i think they have come a long way i think that they're you know, it's always funny to me when I look at like band covers where, you know, it's like, it's like a ship docking or it's like some cat people, you know, and it's very, you know, I, I always think it's funny when you have a, a, a ship cover where nothing is happening, mm-hmm. you know, or a book cover where nothing's happening. You know, the, the, the cover of Ender's Game that's so famous and, and I forget the name of the artist. I even have that guy's art book upstairs. Um, it's it's a ship docking like that it'd be like having a cover where it's like an 18 wheeler backing into a loading dock <laughs> you know like that's going to be the cover of your next book because you said it right here <laughs> right right that's well it would be some book written in like the 1800s would have mm-hmm. a picture of somebody unloading an 18 wheeler I mean, like, I do not understand. I, I'm always, I always think it's funny. I always think, like, if you're gonna illustrate an objective cover, like, you should have like a moment from the book, like the moment from the book, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, uh, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, usually, you know, a lot of the sci-fi books, especially they take place in space, you know, has a spaceship. Sometimes there's, you know, some thrusters happening, or sometimes there's some you know, some kind of space battle going on, but no, typically it's like, it, it's, it's pulling in to a, a station or, right. <laughs> or it's, it's just kind of sitting there. <laughs> right. Well, and mine, my covers for the salvagers were like, uh, here, I, I can get them. Well, your first cover was amazing. I loved it. Oh yeah. They're really good. Um, Lisa Marie Pompilio did these, uh, so this is a big ship at the edge of the universe, and and you know the ship is down here, and you know so it's kind of got it's kind of got the, but it's it's a, my bad, it's like a you know it's like a, it's a graphic design kind of cover. It's not an illustration, right? You know, same same with the the second book in the series. Kind of, it's all you know like yeah, there's a ship there, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not the whole point. It's and, not, it's and, not just the ship. Right, and then the third one, you know, just really great, really nice design. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you've got your you know your your two colors, you know, yeah. bouncing off each other. <laughs> yeah, I I'm hoping that for my next trilogy they do something super colorful. I'm not really sure what they're gonna do, and it's always tricky because like, if they want the covers to be to fly in England, you know, you have to kind of tone them down a bit. <laughs> You know. To make them boring, <laughs> right? Well, they, they, you know how they have the adult Harry Potter covers over there, right? Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. So, like for the Harry Potter books, they would have like these, like really dressed down, like very. Oh, it's okay that you're reading this, you know, kind of <laughs> covers, and and they don't like objective covers. They don't like illustrations as much. Mm-hmm. They don't fly as well, and so like you can see Orbit, which is a UK-based publisher, has covers that are very 
kind of dressed down, you know, and <laughs> and I like that. I, I think that it's nice that they're classy, but I'm really mm -hmm. hoping that we go for something super colorful because the next book trilogy that I'm writing for them is super colorful. It is, uh -huh. you know, really, um, you know, I always kind of joke that like Star Trek is like the sparkle future. And I, I try to kind of take that a little more literally here where, um, you know, so in the next book trilogy that I'm writing for Orbit, it's all about like humanity is about to be extinguished by a, a bunch of giant robots, and uh, there's a there's a uh, a schism that happens between them, uh, you know, Transformer style. But the the interesting part is the main characters who become our kind of conduits for the robots are all musicians. So it's a little bit of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, a little bit of Evangelion, a whole lot of fun. And and I'm and I'm really excited about it uh, because you know the two main characters are like this really nice jazz pianist who's calm and sweet and just a really great guy, and then the other character uh, is this like completely kind of bonkers glam rock musician, non-binary, super fab person, and and so to kind of have this like very kind of calm and stoic versus this ah kind of person. <laughs> is great and and so that but that turns into this really sweet relationship dynamic and so i'm really hoping that they will take that to heart and and make this a super colorful cover i can't i can't say i don't know what's going to happen i was really surprised cross your fingers <laughs> i know i know exactly and the into charybdis cover was very colorful for an aliens cover it had bright blues and, and oranges um when they asked me what I wanted, I pointed at the Aliens uh, Covenant uh, poster where the aliens just in like broad daylight with like drool flying off of its mouth from the engine wash. And I was like, that, that's great. Like it's, it's, it's just objectively there and it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I really enjoyed that because it, it kind of took it in a different direction. I was tired of seeing all these like super dark alien covers. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do for Deep Space Nine. I mean, the Star Trek covers very wildly. You know, sometimes it's going to be like a 30-year-old production uh, publicity still that's like jammed onto a Starfield, right? right. It'll be like Picard, like, like, very serious. Right, exactly. And, that, and that'll be your cover. And that'll just be how it has to be, you know, but like, Sometimes they do like these beautiful paintings mm -hmm. with, you know, like, I don't know what warrants what. And I guess I'll fail, find out where I land on the like pecking order or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, like I said, I, I need to find out how much they like me by the time I get to see the first bit of my cover. <laughs> I'll tell you, the first Titan cover I got was not a painted cover. It was a, it was a, it's a photo manipulation of a video game still. Really? It really was. And it's something that you can't really tell. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll grab it. And I, and I feel kind of bad kind of dogging the cover a little bit because this is such a fan favorite. So, like, don't hold that against it. Um, and the cover's, like, it has some things that I really like. I don't know if you can see, but it's, like, um, it's uh, it's got spot UV. Uh -huh. And um, on the American version, the ridges have ridges. It's all embossed. It's really nice. Um, but yeah, you, you, you know, this is uh, this is one of the ones from Aliens Colonial Marines, 
uh, the video game that Sega put out a couple of years ago. And I was like, why couldn't you have used the stills from the better video game? <laughs> if we were going to just rip off a screenshot, why didn't we get one from isolation? You know, like... <laughs> Oh gosh! Could you imagine if you'd like gotten the cover? Like they just like cinched the cover, and it still had like a little like watermark or something from the game. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, they sent me the publicity photo uh, to to have a to get a poster, and on the poster, you can actually see the anti-aliasing around the shape. Um, yeah, I know you can't see it on the print copy, and again, I can't stress enough how proud I am of this book. Like you should read the book, and. And you know the cover's okay. You know it's embossed. I mean, it's alien. People know what it looks like, <laughs> right? So. Exactly. Like, how much more do you need to know? I, and I think that that is. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that Titan is up their game on the covers, and 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 the fans do too. I can't tell you. You know, going around doing press for this book, uh, I hear this a lot where people are like, "Oh, thank goodness, Titan changed the cover game." So, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited, you know, and it's a hardcover. It's my first ever hardcover. Ooh, yeah. I designed Fancy. a, I designed a map to go in it. Um, really? Yeah. So, you know, not a lot of people know this. I'm a professional designer by by trade, and um, I can I can do pretty nice stuff. So, like, I can do stuff that looks like it's in like a technical manual. Mm -hmm. Um. And so I have a couple of the Aliens Blueprints technical manuals. And so I went and got those and I was like, this isn't too hard. I could definitely do this. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I did, and I did. And I put together this like really realistic mock-up of the place from my new uh, my new book. And my editor was asking me some questions about the installation that I had mapped. And I didn't tell him that I'd made this, <laughs> this extremely detailed, highly professional map. And so I, I texted him and I was like, hey, so I can explain it if you just let me send you this map I drew. And he was like, yeah, sure. And so, <laughs> so I sent him that, you know. <laughs> and then he was like, can we put this in the book? <laughs> <laughs> please, yeah. please. Yeah, yeah. No, I just worked on it for like 30 hours for nothing. <laughs> I just did it to make myself feel better. <laughs> yeah, it was a really just long setup. Just to prove myself for, that I could do it. It was a really long setup for just that joke. Yeah, that's like, man. I sent out, I sent out the, uh, the, the, the. Everybody already knows that we're doing an annual thing for TBRCon, but I sent out a questionnaire for next year's, and I was, I sent it out to all the group messages, and everybody goes, "This looks really fishy," and I go, "It's a freaking Google form. How does it look fishy? Look, it says mark as not spam in order to open it," and I go. Is Twitter trying to kill me? And then Essa Hansen goes, I see what you did. You put all of this together for five or six months, had an entire week of all these panels and everything, and then you're going to screw us all over by sending us spam and getting, yeah. giving us all viruses. You, you played a very long game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just just to get your email address just, I just put to on get this convention. <laughs> oh, man. That made you all follow me back on Twitter and give your email addresses just so I could – just send you a virus in your email. It's going to be great. That's, that's like tech bubble days of customer acquisition right there. That's, you know, like, oh, yeah, we uh, we got customers for $30 a click. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but uh, 
What was what was really funny though is that I only had about five or six people that said that, and at that point I already had like forty or fifty people sign up. So I'm like, mm. did they either they didn't get the you know Mark is not spam or they just didn't care? <laughs> so I, mean, I was like, I oh, or, they, or I... they just trust me. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you 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 sent it to me on Twitter, so I I, cool. I saw it just fine. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's because I sent it to groups of like. 10 or 15 people. I don't know. That's, that's, I bet that's it. I bet Probably. that's it. Or because I sent it about 20 times. So Twitter's like, this is kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. So um, tell me a little bit about how your writing process has changed. Because I know you've written, you know, several novels at this point now. Um, and, uh, you know, has it changed much? You know, have you decided to maybe do more outlining now? Uh, do you outline? Do you hmm. just... You're like, I'm going to write a book about this and just spew words on a page. You know, <laughs> what, yeah. what's, what's, what's your technique? <laughs> so the older I get, the, the more outlining I do ahead of time. Um, when I was first starting out, I would do like kind of just like a really, really rough, like one page outline. And what I would do is I would map it to the kind of standard uh, Vogler memo writer's journey that powered Hollywood for many years. Right, because I came from screenwriting, and so I was taught to do things that way. Mm-hmm. And and you know that was okay. I I think that all frameworks need to be questioned and interrogated for their in, implicit biases, so that you don't just replicate them onto the page every time. But um, but yeah, so I would write like, okay, well, this is these are the three acts. These are the main points. These are the main you know, and, and that would be it. That would be as much as I wrote. I wouldn't even plan the third act most of the time. Because I'd be like, you know, by the time you get there, you're going to come up with a better ending, which mm-hmm. is true. And like, I wrote a lot of books that way. Um, you know, I, I probably have written, I don't know, 12 or 13 books now. Um, you know, so wow. yeah, well, you know, most of them didn't sell. That's you They know, will. They will. We don't want that necessarily. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> I'm okay with having like four or five practice books in there. We're good. <laughs> You know, um, yeah, by the time by the time that all of my uh, books that I'm currently in the hopper on come out, that'll be my 10th book. So um, I have a new trilogy with Orbit. I have Alien coming out Tuesday. Um, and then I have a new Star Trek book as well. So that's, you know, that's qu- qu- quite a lot of books to, uh, yeah, I sold all of them. Now I got to write them, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> You mean you can't just like sign the dotted line and be like, okay, well that's done. Yeah, thanks for the check. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> oh, I'm so I'm so lucky to be able to do that because normally authors have to write a book and find out if somebody wants it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know I've just had really great working relationships with my publishers that have enabled me to kind of come back and and, and again and again and 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 kind of start out with a foot in the door and finding out what they want. Mm-hmm. You know. And and I guess maybe that's what people are talking about when they say like, oh, when I go to a big publisher, I don't have creative control. Because I will say that like, I never thought of myself as necessarily a space opera writer. Um, uh, you know, I used to write really kind of Neil Gaiman-esque kind of literary stuff, and you can see it in my writing sometimes. I get really mm-hmm. like pretentious, and like that's not saying Neil Gaiman is. That's saying I am when I try to be like him. <laughs> Yeah, he's great. He's actually good. I'm pretentious. 
<coughs> so, <coughs> pardon. So, um, right. So, so that's the writing process kind of started to change <coughs> as I got better at, at just kind of identifying the needs of stories and kind of you, you develop an instinctual feel for it. One of the things that I think is really interesting about Alien is that it's a it's a confined space problem, right? So like usually an alien story, you can't just like get up and leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> Sorry, that would be really weird, right? If you could, uh, it usually reduces the horror if you have some means of escape, you know, like just be like, like guys, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't want to deal with this, and I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah like. <laughs> And and in my aliens, uh, in my new aliens book, I have I have characters in there who have seen horror movies before and behave like that, right? Like they're like, I don't want to do this. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> you know, um, changing the game. <laughs> I always I was joke that that's the character that knows that that she's in a horror movie, and that's why that's her, her major advantage is just that she knows. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, so. Uh, there, there's a there's a specific spatial layout that's going to come with any alien mm. story, and what what I found was really fun to work with was the trying to use the space and the layout of the installations from my alien stories as theme and inspiration. And so, like in the Cold Forge, for example, we had two ends of two polar opposites, right? And you had, on the one end, we had our good character. And on the other end, we had our evil character. And as they get closer and closer together, things are more and more reactive. And so the book kind of works like this. Things get more and more and more and more tense. And then there's an explosion in the center of the station. And then everybody kind of has to back apart. And then it calms down for a second. And then it gets more and more and more tense. you know. And, and the closer they get until, until they finally meet again. And it is terrifying. And, and so in into Charybdis, it was interesting because I kind of, I, I'm very, I, I was always influenced by uh, The Ring, um, you know, the movie, the, the horror movie, The Ring. I really love that movie. I really like the Gore Verbinski version. I'm sorry if that like makes me a blasphemer or whatever. Um, but uh, one of the things I like about it is this idea of the well, because the well as an oubliette, um, because there are a lot of natural uh, versions of uh places that can swallow you whole and you know there are there are whirlpools under the ocean surface that, that that could suck you in suddenly and you know you'd never be seen again there's a stream in england i always think about this one that's like it looks very placid but it's actually quite deep and it's basically shaped like a canyon and if you get in there it's really fast flowing cold and it's going to batter you to death and your body's never going to be found you know, and it's like, but it looks fine. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't look that bad. It's, it's you know? a, aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> right. No, I've seen it. It looks really nice. And there's like a game where you like jump over it. It was like a rite of passage. And I'm like, F that. You know, like. <laughs> I'm good. Good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to take the, the bridge. I'll, wa- I'll watch you do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll be like your mom, like over there in the background. You kids just try it out and I'm going to sit over here. 
It's going to uh, be fine. You're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there, there. Um, so, so I wanted to kind of engineer my whole setting around this whirlpool in the middle of the ocean that's just continuously sucking down water, and nobody's really sure where the water goes. And so, uh, there's an installation that's built into the sides of this atoll where the water washes over and flows into a, a stable lava tube and, and is geothermally vented. I mean, like there's an actual explanation that I ran past a volcanologist, but we don't need to know that for the book. What you need to know is that the water disappears into the earth and nobody knows where it goes. And, <laughs> and I want all the technical that, aspects of this. <laughs> right. Right. I, I find that to be really creepy. Mm -hmm. And like, because the, uh, there, because there are definitely characters in this book that go down the hole, you know, and they don't come back. <laughs> and and that's, but that theme of of sudden loss, sudden permanent loss. I mean, it, it kind of permeates the book all the way to the bottom. And as the characters kind of move physically from the top to the bottom of the installation, the closer they are to the bottom, the more they are in a miasma of depression and anxiety and insanity. And kind of the closer they are to the top, the more the things are normal and just flawed. Hmm. And and so that, you know, these two kind of very linear installations have uh, ended up being used as like axes to map the action of the plot over time. And so you can almost use the installations as like bar graphs of themselves. <laughs> anyway, it's a lot of fun to think spatially about plot. And so that's how my aliens plots are written is they're all very facility based. And, and then, um, you know, and then for my more kind of heroic stuff uh, with orbit, I, I tend to like to go for, you know, kind of a big high flying three to four X structure, you know, that, that it's going to be in conversation with all the tropes, you know, without necessarily falling into them all the time. I like to be kind of, I like to kind of assume you've seen movies and mess with your head because of it, if I can. Uh, I have a question. So you're talking about how you, you kind of have a foot in the door and, and, you know, you, you kind of already know what you're going to write, I guess. So, you know, clearly you had to pitch your first trilogy. Um, mm -hmm. And then the second one was, you know, was your publisher like, we want another space opera or were you just <laughs> like, I have another space opera in mind. Here's my thoughts. And they were like, let's go with it. Or they're like, uh, you know, would, would they ever just approach you be like, actually, we want fantasy this time. Can you do fantasy? I mean, have, what, yeah, do you have that yeah. kind of relationship with them? It was almost exactly like that. Um, where I, I mean, and I, I think that this is what people are talking about when they say like, oh, you don't get any creative control. Um, it is, you know, so I went in there and I had a fantasy that I had a really mature pitch on and I pitched it and it went really well. And the editor was interested and she said, I think I could sell this to the publisher. And then uh, she's, you know, but she wasn't like super excited about it. My agent immediately was like, I think you should stick with space opera. <laughs> like in the middle of the call, shut it down, just poured ice water on the whole thing. And immediately, because I mean, that's the thing. A pitch is a fragile thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's, 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 it is, it is not 
a stalwart titan, you know, thundering forth. It is a baby deer, right? And if somebody kicks it, it's going to fall down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my agent was just like, kick, you know, and it was gone. So, um, you know, so they said, you know, we want to do a new, we want to do another trilogy with you, but we want it to be, you know, this high-flying space opera that you're kind of known for with salvagers. Uh, because they that's really how they know me they know that i have a huge fan following uh with alien um and 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 they're impressed with that and they're excited about the sales that that means for them i'm sure right but but you know they think of me as this very exciting happy-go-lucky kind of author and so and, and i have two modes right and 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 some is the dark and grim kind of literary stuff, and I like to think that the alien stuff actually kind of borders on literary sometimes, even though it's you know all about face impregnation. Uh, you know. <laughs> but then you know then there's the other side of it where it's like you know things like the salvagers, where occasionally I am tackling something that's very real and personal to me, and I'm hiding that in the text, mm -hmm. right? But it's not the same thing as alien. Um, and so, yeah, so they, they said, um, we want to have a, uh, high flying space opera and everybody likes your robots. Uh, everybody likes your robot friends. And I was like, you know, okay, I understand. But, you know, a lot of times sentient robots that are in the background, they, I don't like them to be much smarter than pets mm -hmm. because when a robot gets as smart as data, for example, and takes orders, that robot is a slave. <laughs> you know, kind of hands down, right? right? Asimov's three laws of robotics, like you have to sacrifice yourself for me, you have to obey any order I give you, and you can't uh, even kill yourself to get out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, those are... You know, you asked this. I don't understand why he's considered such a visionary about those three laws, because I think of that and I'm like, that's the best you could imagine. Slavery. That's a pretty old system, bro. <laughs> you know, that doesn't sound like the future to me. Right. You know, and so it gets it does get really uncomfortable. And Annalie Newitz, who uh, is a former editor at io9, I don't know if she's still there. I know she writes for the New York Times now, so you know. <laughs> but um, uh, she she said that uh, any story involving robots has the potential to be a slave story, and I thought that's so true. Uh -huh. And uh, and and it is. It gets uncomfortable when you start writing alien uh, androids if you don't recognize the messed up power dynamics of the situation you're not thinking you know uh -huh. these these are very intelligent creatures that were bossing around um and and so that's probably why they go haywire and try to kill us in every single movie <laughs> probably <laughs> <laughs> they're sick and tired of a crap so so yeah so i was like you know so i'm on the call and i'm like listen you know i'm really excited about this and i will write you a robot friends pitch i promise but i am kind of concerned because every robot story could be a slave story according to annalee no it's and my agent goes well yeah but you can't boss around a giant robot <laughs> <laughs> and i was like that's so Too true sure. like immediately i was like that's a good point stop talking don't tell me anything else okay like because th this is something that I'm really bad about. Like, 
if we're going to talk about like a book that I'm writing, I don't ever want to hear a suggestion. Oh. I know that's so bad, but it's just like, like, you know, it's one thing to be like, okay, have you considered giant robots? That's great. That's where you have to stop mm. because I can't live with it. If the best part of my book came from somebody else. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I I'm Because not, then you have to give them credit, right? Right. Like I'd feel constantly like, yeah, well, you know, that line that everybody likes, that wasn't that wasn't mine. <laughs> you know? I feel like I feel like if you just put them in the acknowledgments, then you should be okay, right? But then they're just right. gonna hold it over you the rest of the time. They're like, your book's really yeah, selling yeah. well. Thank God I thought about that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. Can you imagine if somebody's like, remember when I told you to put Yippie Kaye in there? You know, it's like, okay, thank you. Yeah, remember how that line is in the AFI top 100? Shut up. <laughs> you know, kind of... Look, look, you already got your 20 bucks this month. All right. Move yeah, on. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, Check starting the mail. My my spouse is really great. She's like um she's like an adversarial uh kind of you know uh, programmers they always talk about the rubber duck right how like you 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 have a rubber duck on your desk and if you run into developmental problems you explain your problems to the rubber duck and by the time you're done explaining your problem you'll have a solution mm -hmm. right and it, it works really well. Uh, my spouse is like red team rubber duck. She's not a rubber duck. That's a passive thing she will like attack my stuff. <laughs> she will look for plot holes, like nobody's business. She will misinterpret things on purpose. If she can't like, she'll, she'll yeah. And, and she's not the only one uh, who does that. My, my agent does that. He's really adversarial towards my ideas. Um, my editor at orbit will sometimes she's admitted to pretending to not get things. So that she could just to be like, nobody's going to get that. So I'm going to act like I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> is it just to mess with you or is it just that you'll change something? So I'll, just so I'll change something. Because <laughs> they, they all know that like, if they complain about something, like I'm not going to do what they said, right? No, mm -hmm. all of them know not to bother me with an answer, <laughs> but they know I will change it. They know that they have the ultimate power to make me change anything. Uh. You know, so Smart. like it won't be the same, but it's not going to be what you said either. <laughs> so, so basically, you'll change it, but it was never their idea for you to do so. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. I'll give them credit for uh, shooting down stuff. You know, I <laughs> editors save me all the time, all the time. Mm. Uh, you know, I love I love a good editor, and I work with again. I I think that uh, Breit Vita at Orbit is just like one of the best of uh, our current era oh, like, absolutely i uh, yeah i think that uh i think that when we look back at this time in science fiction and fantasy you know i mean look at the time top 100 fantasy novels of all time she had like two to three of them in there I, mm -hmm. you know um i i'm so lucky to be edited by her uh and you know and then you get people like steve saffel who worked at marvel for a long time margaret clark who worked on the you know the set of deep space nine you know um, it's great as, you know, Margaret, you know, and they all have different like strengths, you know, mm -hmm. Margaret is one of those people that just encyclopedically knows Star Trek, you know? So if I'm like, what, what kind of phaser would so-and-so be carrying around? You know, she's like, oh, that's type two from this era, you know, here's, here's a technical drawing of it from this rare book that I own that nobody else does, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. 
Let me, let me go blow the dust off of it real quick. <laughs> right, right. And Steve, Steve is great. He's uh, Steve, my aliens editor. He came from Marvel back in the day, and it is so he's so comic booky. Like he it, working with him feels very comic booky. Really? Um, yeah, just really. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like there it must be a little bit like what it was like to work with Stanley. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and and he's this guy from from West Virginia, but he's been living in Queens long enough that he's kind of from Queens now. <laughs> and uh, and he's just he's just great, and he's this extremely enthusiastic comics person, you know. Anyway, um, but he's a little older, you know, and I, and I, I, but I'm just lucky because I, I get a huge gamut and I have secondary editors in orbit, you know, uh, so Angeline Rodriguez and, and Nivia Evans, you know, who, who come by and, and give my work uh, more passes than I, I ever could have expected. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm embarrassed with a fortune of great editors. <laughs> so, um, t- Let's talk a little bit about your first Orbit trilogy, so Salvagers. Can you can you tell the, those those who haven't read the series a little bit about it, and then shifting from there, you know how your new trilogy is a little different. I mean, I know it's in the same kind of genre, but what what the difference is with it? Oh, sure. So uh, the Salvagers is uh, space fantasy, so you know magic in space, just like Star Wars. Um, or somebody's like Star Wars is space fantasy. Yes, it's a space fantasy. <laughs> it's about as scientific as a seance. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Salvagers is also a space fantasy. And what it is is it's a setting where everybody has their own personal spell that they can cast, and and you're born with it. You don't choose it, you know. So if you're a fire mage, you can do everything from casting uh, a little. Uh, match light on your fingertip to if you're very strong and very good and you practice really hard, throw on a big old fireball, right? Um, but everybody has their own little their own little power, their own little cantrip, and um, that. Uh, and, and so we have two main characters, and one is Boots Ellsworth, who is one of the one in five million people who doesn't. That's her big problem, which I thought I was really clever for coming up with that, but it turns out that's the plot of like four other books, uh, you know, and like My Hero Academia, uh, you know, like, <laughs> which I had not seen at the time. So like, uh, you know, <laughs> um, not the, a ripoff. Uh, that's right. That's right. Not a ripoff. Eventually, you know, kind of a post-publication ripoff. How about that? Uh, yeah, but I. Um, and, and then the other character is this like brash n- race car driver named Nyla, and uh, they both are from really different worlds. You know, Boots is a washed-up con artist um, uh, who like specializes in treasure hunting and and selling legends of of you know usually crap. You know, usually it's a fraud, and and she's kind of constantly dodging debtors and being pursued by enemies and all this other stuff and this other person is like nearly the galactic champion race car driver extremely pampered like a beloved athlete um and and so you have these these very opposites kind of coming together to form this almost all it's almost a buddy cop dynamic i would say almost um 
And then uh, they're kind of thrown together with Boots's old crew, who are a, pe- a group of people that she double-crossed. If you want to know why they're together, you should read the book. Um, and uh, and they you know they set off to to have adventures and find treasures. And it it was originally kind of pitched as this like maybe kind of a treasure of the week kind of setting, where each book there would be a different treasure. And if you look, each book there is a different treasure. Um, that's kind of the point of the book. Uh, but it, it was originally pitched as like a five book series as well. And Ooh. as we came up to that third book, I didn't have a contract for the remaining two yet. And they had an option and they said they might, but they weren't sure. And I started writing the third book and I got about mm, quarter of the way in. I still didn't have that contract for the next two books. And I was just like, I'm just going to finish this series. I'm just going to end it. <laughs> and I went all out and I put everything that I ever wanted to put into that series. And the reviews are great. You know, I'm really excited about the reviews. Uh, uh, they, they, they came in fantastically, uh, especially on that one. And it's nice because everybody says I stuck the landing on a trilogy, which then, you know, that's just really gratifying because it is quite terrifying. <laughs> um you know, and and uh, but yeah, I was just like, forget it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sum this up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything just in case I don't get another shot. Right. You know, because you're fired at the end of every book, and it's nothing mm-hmm. personal. It's just maybe they're not gonna buy another thing from you ever again. And <laughs> you know, and it's like. You know, what do you do about that? Is there anything you can do about that? If you fall out of kind of the upper echelons, you know, maybe, maybe not. So if you're only going to be up here for a while, the only person to satisfy is yourself. Mm. Right. And so I was like, they might, they, they wanted me to keep it open, I think. Uh, but when I got towards the end, I was like, I'm, I'm closing it out. You guys didn't tell me. <laughs> like, I'm shutting this door. I'm done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. So that was when they came back and they said, okay, so, you know, we don't want any more salvagers books. So go ahead and we're going to, we're going to, and not nothing personal because they earned out. Mm-hmm. They did okay. Um, but we do want you to, you know, kind of pitch us a new trilogy. And that was where this came from. And they were like, we obviously want you under contract again. I was like, obviously, you know, <laughs> <laughs> clearly I'm doing something right. <laughs> So, so yeah, this, this book, um, this book trilogy that I'm working on for orbit is, uh, right now is really, it's fun and it's high flying and it's all about the, the really great stuff. But at the same time, it's written very much during the pandemic. Um, and it, it reflects a lot of the difficult kind of depressing things about that in a way that is kind of juxtaposed against this kind of joie de vivre, you know, let's, let's be, let's be happy for today. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very hopeful and it's very loving, but at the same time it's like, you know, and and, and so what what is, the setting is it's it's um that humanity is about to be extinguished by giant robots. Giant robots have been landing at human colonies, and they've been deploying these swarms of golden robots that land and they they kill everybody on the colony and they suck out their memories. It's really disturbing, and. They feed all the human memories into this like central network, uh, and they they will like reach out across the stars using the, the broadcasting equipment that they have to kind of 
uh, trick and hack other human colonies to the point that everybody in the galaxy stops talking to one another. Huh. Because, you know, if I get, we're so interlinked that if I consume one planet of people, I have the information to hack the remaining planets of people probably, you know, that's, and, and so these things, they start coming after us. And so it's the last day the, the, the book starts on like the last party on the last day of earth when the, the, the plan to defeat these things and, and get them away from us has totally failed. And one is coming to exterminate us. <laughs> and this, this robot lands and our main character is thinking about throwing himself over the, the edge of a cliff at the time because, you know, he's like, why stick around for this? Um, and, and instead he decides he's going to play one last song on the piano. And another robot lands and, and kind of picks him up and, and shoves him into a cockpit. And, they, you know, and, and there's something about the musical connection, essentially. And that's where I say it's very close encounters of the third kind. But it's a really stylized musical book. It's all about kind of uh, music as a metaphor and, and, and using that in, in a novel way. Um, I wanted to write something that felt like it had a soundtrack. And that was really important to me uh, because I think that that's a fun place to work, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so I always want all of my book experiences to be like really strongly mine but while, but at the same time, really distinct from one another. Do you, uh, are you going to do a soundtrack for this one? Like you did for, for salvagers? Uh, I want or to, have you already done one? <laughs> I want to, there is no time for that this time. I'm sure. I, I, uh, yeah, this most recent round, like I said, you know, my agent sold five unwritten books of mine and it was just like, okay, well, I guess that's what I do now. <laughs> I guess I'm just an author now. <laughs> yeah, oh, I wish, I wish. Uh, but yeah, so you know, I, I I always have my musical gear out, and I I do play a lot. But you know, it's it's hard to the the kind of work that I do to put in one of those soundtracks. I mean, it's hundreds of hours. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, uh, I can probably imagine. So what what's the title of the first book in this new trilogy? Uh, that's the thing. We don't actually know yet. So oh. I did submit. I submitted provisional titles. And they were like, this is good, but we don't really like it. Um, so <laughs> They're so nice to you. <laughs> well, they, 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 they say, you know, they say it nicely. They have like a diplomatic way to say it, but it's, you know. This, this is isn't going to flaw. Yeah, next. this is good, but yeah, next, exactly. Uh, Tim is the publisher, and he actually came up with um, the title of A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe. Uh, that one originally had a different title as well. And I came up with the other two kind of based on kind of riffing on his title. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, but we went back and forth for like hundreds of titles on that one before mm -hmm. Tim was just like, I think we should call it a big ship at the edge of the universe. And I was like, I hate it. I, I think that's a terrible title. And I'm kind of vaguely insulted. Like I was, I was terrible. Um, and then they sent me the cover and I was like, Oh, that looks really good actually. <laughs> You know what? You know what? I'm okay. I'm okay with this. <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. You know. Um, I got you. And so uh, this time I was talking to Breed and I was like, you know, we're, we, here's what we can do: we can exchange a couple hundred titles, and then Tim can tell us what the book's called. <laughs> just, just give a bunch of just jump titles, and then just let him design. Yeah. Oh, uh, jeez. Um, all right. So, so 
Next up, I want to uh, can you talk a little bit about your Star Trek novel that's coming out? I know I know you're going to be a little vague with it, but yeah. um, what can you tell us about it? So it's called Deep Space Nine Revenant, and I was I was picked um, to write it. They came to me because of Alien, uh, uh, and and you know they wanted somebody who's non-binary, I think, to write the Trill, um, and because you know especially in Discovery, uh, the Trill have been a kind of a queer uh, vehicle. And and so you have the first trans actor uh, on on Star Trek playing that, and the first non-binary actor on Star Trek playing another trill, and so I think that they were really trying to carry that through to the novel line, which I appreciate, you know. Um, and and so I got to write about Jedzia Dax, which is like one of my favorite characters of all time. Um, I was really heartbroken when they killed her off, uh, and you know, and I think a lot of us were. I I, I don't. I don't think most of us, uh, anyway, I, there are a lot of Dax fans that didn't, you know, there's nothing wrong with Esri. And in fact, I actually, <laughs> actually had Esri Dax on my podcast later, the person who played her, Nicole DeBerr. Uh, but I'm a huge Jadzia Dax fan. And so uh, they said, you can pitch anything you want. Um, you know, you just name it, just go, go after whatever you want. And I sent them one pitch. It was 40 pages long. Um, and, and it was extremely detailed <laughs> and they were just like, okay, check, check, check. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Take it away. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, they, they have some really interesting restrictions because like in Star Trek, you, you have like the closer you get to the brand mark, the more restricted things will be. So like, for example, I can say that there's a mysterious library on Trill that existed for a thousand years. All right, that's fine. Um, I can't say a guy comes into the room in a Starfleet raincoat. Huh. Because you've never seen a Starfleet raincoat before. And that's a uniform, so it's extremely close to the brand mark. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you can't have that. I'm like, but you let me make up a library. And it's like, yeah, but you can't have the raincoat. <laughs> You literally make up an entire building. Right. <laughs> now, now could you name could you name that building after somebody? Uh you're right. Uh, I don't well, oh, it depends. It depends. If I'm like the Montgomery Scott building, then probably not. <laughs> right? You know. It's it's interesting. Working in tie-ins is always interesting because you have to ask yourself, like, how close is what I'm doing to the business interest? Mm -hmm. And the closer you get to the business interest, the more you're going to get interference. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do something like that. And in fact, I try to make a point of once per tie-in novel doing something that's going to be challenging to the business interest. <laughs> like something that is going to be like, you know, like new on a yeah. fundamental level right. so that I contributed something. <laughs> so it's not just the same thing over and over again and just, you know, different, different credit paint on it. Right, exactly. But you really can only do that like once, you know, <laughs> like per book. You can't just you can't... Just, just change it just just a little bit. <laughs> right, you got, you got like one big thing and a whole bunch of little stuff, and you can you can only work in the cracks. And so, and that's what I did is I went and I watched the series again, and I watched a couple of the episodes that I thought were like the real kind of Jedzia episodes, and um, and and yeah, and then I kind of looked for an area that I felt like was a really interesting area to work in. 
because the seasons are all over, I don't have to worry about like, oh, I want to write in the future of the show, which hasn't been written yet and could be contradicted. And now I have to do approvals and I don't have to do any of that. Right. It's over. Mm-hmm. So right. we know who lives and who dies, uh, all that stuff. And, and so I was able to just say like, yeah, I want to write in season four, Jedzia Dax. It's between this episode and this episode. And this is what I want to write exactly. And they said, take it away. Yeah. So well, that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. It works <laughs> out. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and of course, lastly, uh, let's talk about your, <laughs> your release that comes out next week. Um, yes. so, so your new alien novel, uh, into Caribdis. So tell us, I know we've talked a little bit about kind of, uh, kind of where it takes place, but tell us a little about the story uh, behind right. it. Cause I know you're, you've also, uh, tweaked it a little bit as well, uh, at least from, from some of our past conversations. Yeah, this is going to be quite the uh, firecracker of a book. I'm really, really excited to see what the response is like. I actually just talked to one of the reviewers today for a press thing, and uh, he was one of the first people to have read it, and he, was just, he just couldn't stop talking about it. It was, it was great. It was really, really good reception. And I think that this one will be kind of the same way. Uh, if I could just say, like, regardless of what you think of the plot, there are a lot of curveballs in this book, and they are really strong curveballs, and they're not the kinds of twists that you're going to be expecting. It's not like that. It's not a Shyamalan kind of situation. Um, it's going to go some places that you didn't expect, I hope, and so I really want, um, really want to make that clear. Now, that being said, the story is about um, some uh, building contractors who are like, you know, they, they go from colony to colony commissioning buildings. Uh, so somebody has to set up all the like hooking lights and stuff into the, the central grid, uh, you know, hooking up all the thermostats and the sensors. I don't know how much you know about like skyscrapers, but you know, a skyscraper building management facility is more akin to like a nuclear power plant than it is akin to like your house, mm-hmm. you know? And Colonies are going to be a lot, even more like that. So I spent the last four years of my career actually working in smart buildings and smart cities. And so I would work with a lot of these building commissioners to go in and look at like big boilers and chillers and that kind of stuff. Well, that's what this crew is doing. They're hooking all that stuff into the network. So they're actually just a couple of white collar people and a bunch of roughnecks. Right. And, uh, and they're going to retrofit a colony called Hasanova data solutions, which is, a um it's a data center owned by the iranian state and and so it's it's it is a nationalized corporation and that like you could buy hosting space there but it it is owned by the iranians and our our crew at mccallan has been warned like you should not take that job (laughs) and by the state department and they they choose to go for it anyway because you can you can do that kind of stuff. When I was um, when I was working in video production, you know, we would regularly get invitations to go out to Hess, uh, you know, to work at like Hess oil sites in like kind of hot areas, mm-hmm. right? Where like you had an escort from the airport to the compound, and like other people had gotten beheaded, kind of situations, <laughs> you know, and it was really bad, right? Yeah. And but so you get these warnings from the state department. Like you don't want to go over there. An American was just murdered. This is why. 
and it's usually for the people that you're working because the people that you're working for are evil. Somebody was murdered. Maybe you shouldn't go over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you know, and, and so the State Department has said, you know, this is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Iranian state. I don't know. I don't know if you should do that. Now, to cut to the other side. The other side is the people who live and work there, right? Who are are also normal people and normal civilians, just like you and me, but they're Iranian. And they're they're dealing with kind of their own kind of worries because they've found something interesting in their installation that because this is a purchased installation that's actually somebody else built it and they found something interesting in their installation a hint it's aliens probably and you know uh, they that has created a huge amount of paranoia for them because uh, you know the these things could get out they could get they could get loose they could harm people and so they don't trust the Americans the Americans don't trust them. And then that paranoia kind of comes to a head and they get the colonial Marines involved and things go really weird from there. And I love this book. There are so many uh, little clockwork twists and turns that I put in there that took a lot of, a lot of work to kind of structure the plot to make it happen just so. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm really excited. There are a lot of perspective characters uh, who, uh, you know, we kind of get to inhabit. And so, you know, I think there are probably six, four or six perspective characters, maybe four big perspective characters, six in total. And I mean, I didn't think my editors were going to let me get away with it. I mean, at first they actually didn't want to do that. And I showed them like a timeline of overlap. And I was like, if you look, every single character is in total in the book for a third of the book, uh-huh. you know? So like, they're not all at the same time, <laughs> but we get a third of the book with everybody. Yeah. So, uh, and they, they went for it and I'm really glad that they did. It clocks in. It's the high, it's the longest alien novel that exists right now. Um, which I did not mean to do, but to, to make a plot like this kind of come off, that was required. And again, I'm so, so proud of it. And I can't wait to see the reaction on Tuesday. Hey, well, you've already, you've already checked off a box. You have the long Stanley novel. No. Yeah, that's right. That's something that's to be right. proud of. I know. Is this is also my first hardcover. Um, so I'm really excited. <sighs> two about checks. That. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, so I've gotten hardcover. I've gotten embossing. I've gotten spot UV, but I still don't have hologram yet. And I don't have foil and I'm really, you know, mm. Uh, I'm a print nerd, and I, I really actually do look for that kind of stuff. Like slipcase, that's another one. Oh yeah, slipcase. Yeah. Yeah, I need a. I need what about, a, what about the what about the, like the faux leather edition? Do you want that? I. You know what? I really like more than the faux leather edition is the like 1950s textbook sized editions that are like you know like the fabric covers fabric hardcovers with like nice embossings and stuff like that. I tend to like those a lot. I really love uh, the Barnes and Noble reissues of like classic literature. Those are always cool. The, the covers on them are always cool. You know what I mean? But I guess would it kind of be like, like this, uh, this American gods one. Hold on. Oh. Cause I've gotten a couple, I've gotten a couple from there. It's kind of like the, exactly like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, freaking like, like just the feel of it. Oh. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also I, and it's also got sprayed edges. So 
Oof. Oh yeah, no. Oh, yeah. I haven't had sprayed edges yet. Oh, sprayed edges. Sprayed edges would be <laughs> would be something. If I got like holographically sprayed edges, that would be. Yeah, this one's like shiny silver. Like it's like sparkly. Nice, nice. I love yeah. sparkly stuff. Oh, well, see, I uh, I, I love sprayed edges. I know um, when they did, you know, like Gideon the Night, and they did the black sprayed edges. Like I mm. freaking loved that for tour. Mm. Um, but then uh, Andrea Stewart, her uh, her sprayed edges they did for the Bone Shard daughter uh, from was it Goldsboro that did her special edition, mm. but they, it actually had like the symbol from the front cover sprayed on the edges of it. Oh, That's it's gorgeous! Awesome. Oh, it's gorgeous. So, uh, but yeah, maybe one day, one day, maybe maybe we can uh, your 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 last Alien novel that will be even larger than this one, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever gonna get to come back to Alien. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, this is. <laughs> I will tell you. I don't think that the Alien universe will be the same after this book. Oh. Yeah, I'm and really excited. Scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so awesome. excited about it. Oh, I am too. And uh, ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully, our copies come in soon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, it's always like that, though. Um, and and you never know, you never know when your contract is going to come. In. You never know. There's all kinds of stuff that's like that, where it's just right. like, yeah, it's just publishing. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, in the yeah. pandemic, no less. Like, I I pretty much give everybody pandemic amnesty now. You know, if yeah. if, if I don't get what I want, it's the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll keep using it until uh, I guess it it ends up going away. I don't... It might be a while. So, well, uh, if I could, uh, a little public service announcement. Yeah. My local bookstore has partnered with me to do autographed editions of all of my books. So, if you want to buy an autographed copy, it's actually really easy. You can go to my local bookstore's page and you can order one and they'll ship it to you no matter where you are. Uh, and, and so that's a really great way to do it. And for me, it's awesome because I, I don't have to go to the post office. I can just sign a bunch of stock for these people and have them be my official vendor. And now that being said, my local independent bookstore has also recently suffered an exploded water heater and it flooded the bookstore and it did tons and tons and tons of damage. And they have a GoFundMe up. uh, But more important than that is that if you were thinking of buying any books right now, no matter what books they are, don't buy them from Amazon, consider buying them from this place. And I can give you that link and they can, uh, and you can get, uh, autographed editions of Into Charybdis from them, and it would help them out in a lot of ways. So, awesome, yeah. And we'll uh, I'll, I'll make sure to put it in the link, uh, or put the link down in the uh, in the little bio and so forth for it. Uh, what's what's the name of the bookstore? Read it again, bookstore in Sewanee, Georgia. Read it again. Okay. Yeah, and, and just owned by really awesome people who do uh, amazing stuff with the author community, getting in readings all the time, being partnered up with the Decatur Book Festival. You know, just 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 a really fantastic group of people. They are the official con vendor for uh, Multiverse Con, which is where I met them. Okay, so. fantastic, awesome. Yeah. Well, well, Alex, I really appreciate you, not only for coming out here and talking to me, but just for being awesome. Because <laughs> ever since we first met, we it's it's just been great knowing you. So, oh, and, and, but it's it's always thing. it's always a pleasure talking to you as well. So, um, and. Uh, Clearly, I'm looking forward to into care just whenever it decides to arrive on my doorstep. Uh, but yeah. I, I am, I am super ready for your new trilogy with Orbit. So whenever, whenever the title gets announced, I will yeah. make sure I reach out 
to Angela and go, that one, I need that one. <laughs> oh, I know it. I know it. I, I can't wait to people get it. And I, I can't wait to see the cover because Lauren Panapinto, she said, you know, I, I, I know that we had your salvagers covers and they're very beautiful. And I'm like, they are so beautiful. And she's like, but you are a really colorful person and you write really colorful stories. And I'm like, I see where this is going and I like it. <laughs> like, do the yes. thing <laughs> exactly i don't need you to finish this conversation <laughs> absolutely well thank you again so much for coming on and uh and we'll uh we'll talk again soon i'm sure and uh especially we're gonna make sure that you're on tv arc on 2022 we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make it happen we're gonna let work go to the to the wayside <laughs> No, no scheduling of conference calls. <laughs> That's right. I'll be sure and I'll be sure and take the take the day off. Hey, if it wasn't the CEO, you you would have you would have caught me. I promise. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> well, thank you again, and let's chat soon. All right, take it easy.